Well, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for these faithful friends here, Lord, that would come out on this very warm evening to hear your word. And your word is refreshing to our soul. So we pray that as we look at the final chapters in the life of Joseph and ponder on your providence and your sovereign rule in our life and the fact that all things work together for good for us always, that you would speak clearly and that you would encourage us all in our faith. We pray that where conviction is needed, you would give that by your Holy Spirit. Where encouragement is needed, you would use the Holy Spirit to do that. But we want to be built up in our most holy faith in the moments we have here tonight. So we commit these moments into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, before we begin, I thought I'd ask, anything come to mind for those of you that have been hanging around for a while on Wednesday nights, anything about the life of Joseph or these parts of Genesis that was helpful for you that you benefited from as far as the text? Anything that come to mind? Yes, Kathy. I, I just, because you emphasize always that the Lord was there. Yeah. All the time, yeah. And it didn't matter how dark Joseph's placement was, whether he was in Potiphar's house as a slave or the hole as a prisoner or the pit that his brothers threw him in. Every time we see Joseph is at his rock bottom, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Yes? So God had to prepare him in his arrogance and in his foolishness. 
had to prepare him for this, and it took 13 years of imprisonment and 22 years to be away from his family before he was ready. Anyone else? Anything stick out to you personally? I just wonder how we would have behaved if we were in those same circumstances. Okay, how would we, we behave in those same circumstances? And that's a good question because we are in similar circumstances. <laughs> Where God is in complete control, we can't see his hand at the time. We, in many cases, feel that we're placed in unjust circumstances. Like another person caused it. And that's common for Christians. And then you said patience. The patience of Joseph. Anyone else? The forgiveness? The forgiveness? Yeah, that's our, uh, that's our emphasis this evening at the end, is, is forgiveness. His grace um, towards his brothers. Now, um, as we talked about weeks ago, Joseph, of course, was carried off uh, as one of the younger brothers unjustly because his, his uh, ten brothers were very jealous of him. And uh, the father favored him, which was a huge mistake. For any parent or grandparent, sidebar here, any parent or grandparent to favor one child or grandchild over the other, you're just guaranteeing that that child that you love, that you're favoring, is going to be hated by his siblings. Guaranteed. And they won't like you too much either, the ones that don't feel favored. Anyhow, that's what he did. Uh, was be, part of it was because he had Joseph at his old age, and Rachel, his wife, he had four wives, but Rachel was his favorite, and the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. Nevertheless, favoring Joseph and Benjamin over the others was not wise. And so they hated Joseph. They resented him. They were jealous of him. And so they unjustly sold him as a slave to Egypt. You see that in chapter 37, chapter 39. Um, and yet, as soon as he was there, we find that the pers person that purchased him, anybody know what his name was as a slave? Potiphar purchased Joseph as a slave. And within a matter of days or weeks, it said that the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord gave favor to Joseph and Potiphar who was an Egyptian, probably didn't know the God of Joseph. Somehow he knew God was working in his life. Very, very evident. Of course, Potiphar's wife one day, who was questionable, a questionable person, uh, asked Joseph to go to bed with her daily. He was well-built and handsome. He was only 17 years old. He was well-built and handsome, the Bible says. And we read that day after day after day, she tempted Joseph to sleep with her. And day after day after day, Joseph, at the age of 17, no less, said, he, the Bible says he refused to be with her or even speak with her. And then, of course, she accosted him that one day. No one else was in the palace. And she grabbed him and he ran. And she was a woman scorned. You know the story. And she screamed rape and told her husband that Joseph tried to rape her, when in fact it was the other way around. And then Potiphar throws Joseph in the hole. 
the dungeon. You know that story. Unjustly, but what does it say? What does it say not long after Joseph was sent to the hole? But the Lord was with him. And showed him mercy. And showed him mercy. And gave him favor. As a matter of fact, we talked earlier, we talked earlier that um, Potiphar had to know that his wife was lying. He had to know it. And then later on we find out when Joseph is in that dungeon, we read that Potiphar put him in charge of the baker and the cupbearer who worked for Pharaoh. He wouldn't have done that if he didn't trust Joseph and if he believed his wife. So then Joseph has been given a gift way back before he was sold as a slave of interpreting his brother's dreams. And in his interpretation of their dreams and his parents, he told them that someday you will bow your knee before me and I will rule over you. His brothers were furious. Matter of fact, when they saw Joseph coming to bring them food and give them a report, give his father a report of how they were doing out there tending the flocks, they saw him coming from afar. Do you remember what they said? Here comes that dreamer. They hated him. He said, I'm going to rule over you someday. That's another thing that a 17-year-old shouldn't say to 10 older brothers. Like, hello. Of course, the dreams came true. As we'll see again tonight. Well, Joseph was given the gift of interpretation of dreams. God gave him this gift. And when he was in prison, a cupbearer and baker were sent to Pharaoh. They did something to offend Pharaoh. They were his two closest assistants. The one in charge of his food and the one in charge of his wine. Very high positions in the court of the Egyptians. And Joseph had compassion for them. He saw that they were frightened, and he cared for them. One night, they both had a dream on the same night. And in their dreams, Joseph said, I can help you with your interpretation, but God is the ultimate interpreter. And he told the cupbearer, your dream suggests that in three days, you're going to be set free and resume your position as his cupbearer. And the baker was pretty excited to hear that dream until he heard his. In three days, you're going to be hanged. Which is one of the rare times in the scriptures where we find where someone knew the exact day and time that they would lose their life. And what did he do in those three days? What did he do? How did he think? What did he feel? Did Joseph impact them? You never know. They knew Joseph feared God. And so he says to the cupbearer, well, you're going to be released back to Pharaoh, and please remember to tell him that I've done nothing to deserve being in this dungeon. So in other words, he saw that that cupbearer was his ticket out of his place of torment. He thought, God's moving now. He's going to set me free. And surely, when he tells Pharaoh who I am and what I've done, 
He'll set me free. And what is the very next verse? But the cupbearer forgot Joseph. And the following verse is, when two years had passed. Joseph thought his ship was coming in. And we've had that happen in our life, whether it was a job or an income or a person or an answer to prayer or whatever it might be that would bring relief to our life. And we just know that it's around the corner. And it's delay after delay after delay. And what we thought happened did not happen. Why did God wait two more years? We talked about this a while back. What was behind that? Well, oh, I remember the trap and all that stuff needed to get them. It, it was the timing thing. The timing. God revealed to Joseph that he was going to save many lives. Joseph didn't know that it would be 22 years after that. But he was going to save many, many lives. And so. The timing was perfect. If Joseph would have got out too soon, he wouldn't have been Pharaoh's right-hand man. And right about the time he became Pharaoh's right-hand man, he told Pharaoh a dream that in seven years there was going to be, for seven years, there was going to be prosperity and agricultural growth and blessing, but the following seven years was going to be severe famine. And he told Pharaoh, you need to appoint someone in your cabinet or in your leadership that is wise, that can plan for this famine. And, Joseph, and the Pharaoh said, no one is as wise as you. You're the man. Took him out of prison, exalted him to be the prime minister of Egypt. There's a good story, that phrase you've heard it before, going from rags to riches. Overnight. So God delayed the two more years because it wouldn't have been the timing of his providential plan to save all those lives. It would have been premature. And so he does with us. We feel like God's delays are denials. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Sometimes he just sends us to his waiting room, I call it. It's a time to wait. We pray, he doesn't give us a yes. He doesn't give us a no. He gives us a wait, which sometimes is more difficult than a yes or a no. And so there Joseph sat. Finally gets out. He's now the prime minister. And of course the entire known world, which was Canaan and Egypt, the entire known world at that time was hit by this famine. Where did Joseph's deceptive brothers live? Who, by the way, they lied to their father. They killed a sheep and put lamb and put blood on Joseph's coat and went back to the father and said he was killed by a wild beast when he was actually sold by his brothers. Twice he was sold to Potiphar and to the brothers. And for 20 years, that father mourned the loss of his favorite son when he wasn't dead at all. And so, 
Who comes to Egypt for food? Joseph's brothers. That's when the story got real fun, remember? Joseph recognized them immediately. How come they didn't recognize Joseph? He looked like an Egyptian. What about it? Language. 20 years older. What? What else? No beard. No beard. Most Hebrews had beards. He shaved. He had his head shaved. He had his face shaved. I think they probably thought he was dead. Yeah, they probably thought he was dead by now. He's a slave. I mean, a prisoner for all these years. Yeah. Kathleen? And he was a powerful figure. He's a powerful figure. He had an interpreter. He understood Hebrew perfectly, but he had an interpreter, so they didn't know that. And, you know, another thing is when we don't expect to see someone, sometimes we don't recognize them. Even at the tomb, Mary did not recognize that it was Jesus. Well, even if we see somebody from church or somebody that we know in a different setting, we don't recognize them right away. Yeah, yeah. Especially 20 years later. You ever go to a class reunion? Okay. So, Fanny Crosby, I mentioned this in one of the teachings I've done here, but I, I just can't get away from this phrase. Fanny Crosby was a blind hymn writer. I think she wrote 800 hymns. She was blind. And she's the one that said, I think of Joseph when I hear this phrase, the chords that have been severed will vibrate once again. And if there's any family in Scripture where the music was severed and snuffed out only to vibrate once again 22 years later, it was Jacob's family. And that's true in our own life. We can go through very silent, dark times. And before we know it, we're out of it. And blessing starts coming. And we're wiser. And we see God's faithfulness in a greater way. Magnified, 3D, God's faithfulness. But sometimes we have to lean into our grief and go through it. There's stages, you know, of loss. And lean into it. I might have mentioned this. For those of you that feel loss or you're not past grief, you've got to get this book by a Christian psychologist, Larry Crabb. And it's called Shattered Dreams. I did mention that. Shattered Dreams by Larry Krause. If you know anybody that is going through divorce or the death of a loved one or lost their job or income or a runaway child, Shattered Dreams by Larry Krause. It's a study on the book of Ruth. So I read this phrase regarding God's providence. God never loses control of his purposes. Even what no man could imagine, as far as Joseph's life, or ours, even when no man could imagine it, God still had all the strings in his hands. He's still working behind the providential curtain of our life. And by the way, sometimes he shows his hand very clearly to give us hope, right when we need it. And other times he goes silent. 
He knows what he's doing. He's the potter or the clay. And as you know, I taught on this a couple months back on a Sunday. The potter knows when to put pressure on that vessel to shape it, to smooth it. But he also knows when to back off and to splash a little water on it. And it just takes a little pressure from his thumbs to do the top of the vessel. He's the potter. We're the clay. And he's always at the wheel of our life. You probably wouldn't remember this. But it went something like this when I taught on the potter and the clay. God is the potter. Obviously, we're the clay. Not a very handsome illustration. But sheep aren't that smart either. What did the wheel signify? The wheel signifies the friction in our life that God allows to spin and shape us. The people that are irritating, the circumstances that won't go away, the temptation we keep yielding to, the harsh person that we wish we didn't live next door to. And the list is like this. The friction are the things in life that are uncomfortable that God uses to shame us. And that's what he did to Joseph. Okay, so what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some high points in chapter 47. We left off in verse 13, I believe. I'm going to use some real fast comments in chapter 48. 49, 50 is where we're going. And that's about forgiveness. Joseph's powerful forgiveness. So let's look quickly at chapter 47. So Joseph's family is now settled in Goshen. They have everything they need, needed. But the land is still suffering, including Goshen. The famine. We read in verse 13, chapter 14, uh, 47, excuse me. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And so the famine had reached the all-time har harsh consequences. They were running out of everything. So we read in verse 14 that the people had only a little money left. Well, I'll just, let's just read it to you. Verse 14. And Joseph gathered of all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. So the people had a little money left. And Joseph told them to give him the money, which he gave to Pharaoh, in exchange for giving them food and grain. That was the first thing that happened. Listen to this. You talk about people under pressure and devastation. Look at verse 15. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. 
Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. Joseph answered and said, Now give me all your livestock. All along, he's working for the purposes of survival. So they've given their money. Now they have to give their livestock. And he says, I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought the livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, flocks, herds, donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There's nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Like we have nothing else. Our animals are gone. All of our property and agriculture is dried up. Our money is gone. All we have left is our land and our bodies. They go to Joseph. Boy, can we see his wisdom now. The land became Pharaoh's, as, where am I? So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh for all the Egyptians and sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. It says it twice. Very severe and severe. What do you think that means? Severe. The land became Pharaoh's. As far as the people, he made servants of them from one end of the Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests, that's a different thing. Let's go to verse 22. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. We're going to start over. You are servants of Pharaoh. But now we're going to give you seed in exchange out of the granaries or wherever they got it from. So that you can start to work. You see that it's a very hopeful thing for them to have seed. Because they know how to see comes harvest. Joseph's saying this is a new beginning. You're going to live. We're going to make sure you live. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth the Pharaoh of your harvest. And four fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and food for yourselves and your household. And as food for your little ones. And they said you have saved our lives. Joseph had the dreams. He told his brothers, I will rule over you someday. When he finally disclosed himself to his brothers in chapter 45, he said, I want to tell you something. They were crying and fearing for their life when they knew that it was Joseph. He finally said, I'm your brother Joseph. And, you know, if there was ever such a time for a heart attack, it should have happened in all ten of them. Because they knew that Joseph could have their head that fast. They said, God is punishing us. They didn't know that jo Joseph understood them. He had an interpreter. God is punishing us because of what we did to our brother when we sold him. And Joseph started crying. First sign of his forgiveness. He starts crying. 
for the ones who tried to ruin his life and took his father from him. That's forgiveness. Forgiveness isn't a feeling. It's a heart change. And he says to his brothers, do not be afraid because you sold me here. You know what the next phrase is? Because God sent me here. You might have sold me here. We know you did. But God sent me here. In other words, God worked through your greedy hands to get me to where he wanted me to go. Don't be upset at yourself. It is the plan and the purposes and the providence of God that actually sent me to Egypt. You didn't do it. Amazing. Now, I've said it before, but we'll see it again in chapter 50. Until we get it as believers that God holds all the strings of our life, good ones, harsh ones, gracious ones, beautiful ones, and he works in our life for good for them who love God. If we really can't get that and see his handprint on every circumstance we go through eventually, we'll be bitter. We'll want nothing to do with him. We'll say, how can an angry God treat his people this way? But once we know that he's behind the scenes of our life, for the promises and the purpose he has out for his kingdom and for you and I. We'll be at peace. We'll have to lean into the grief and the pain. But under that, we'll have peace. Amen? You ever had peace in a difficult situation? And, uh, so, people said you saved their lives. He said to his brothers in chapter 45, you didn't see send me here, but God did, and he sent me here for the what? Saving of many lives. And so even as they're talking to Joseph, he's going, thank you, Lord. Everything you said, you would do me done. Thank you. He saved Joseph's family. He saved the entire country of Canaan and Egypt and probably most important God saved his people God's covenant family who would eventually have Christ come from as the ultimate David we call him there's King David and then there's the ultimate David the first David so to speak chapter 48 real quick and so you know Joseph's still making it work Chapter 48, uh, first couple verses after this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and was told, Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, appear to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and bless me, probably 25, 30 years prior, maybe more. 
and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. He's talking about Canaan. Verse 5, And now your two sons, by the way, these sons were Joseph's sons, but his wife was Egyptian. She was not Jewish. Yet, his grandfather Jacob says, And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine, Ephraim and Manasseh. I'm adopting your two sons. They're half Egyptian. It doesn't matter, my son. I'm blessing them. He added them to the blessing of the patriarchs. Two grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's two sons. Their names mean, God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering, which is what he will do for you and I. God has made me fruitful in the middle of the land of my suffering. And the other one is, God has made me forget all my troubles. That was what their names meant. That's what Joseph said. And so, you know, we know that Reuben and Simeon, who was the other one who was the first one? Reuben and Simeon, there was the third one. Reuben and Simeon were bloodthirsty, and they were the top two. The top three brothers were supposed to be in leadership, but two of them were bloodthirsty. They wiped out an entire village, and the third one um, slept with his father's wife, or someone, something like that. And so they lost their position. So the fourth one in line now is Judah, which is where Christ came from, the line of Judah. Anyhow, Jacob adopts Joseph's two sons, which was another blessing to Joseph. Yes? So, I'm just wondering, if Jacob added, I, I never got Ephraim and Manasseh in the line of the twelve. Um, they're not. They're not. So, they're, was he in God's will in doing that, or was Yes, he was. He would, he was. He just appointed. I mean, he's not. He's not. They're not the two of the patriarchs, but they got the same blessing. He says, "I'm going to bless you this in the same proportion as I bless my sons." He adopted them, and that's what adopt. Anybody adopt anybody here? Anybody adopt parents? Tell me. Tell me about it. When you adopted with son daughter. Daughter. She's actually my biological niece, so there's still a little blood connection. And do you have any other children? I have two other children, yes. She's the oldest, though. She was my first. Is she as much your child as your child? Oh, 100%. I don't see any difference between them at all. Do you realize that we've been adopted into the family of God? And everything that God's children have that weren't Gentiles, we have. We have been given an inheritance, and we are loved. We are loved by the Father as he loves Christ. It actually says that. 
Anyhow, a benefit for Joseph, a benefit. I'm taking your grand, my grandchildren and making them sons like you're one of my sons. And then again, there he goes favoring those that are born to Joseph. But he never got over that. So what do we, where do we go with that? He just never seemed to work that out. He's going to die any day now here. And so then we jump to chapter 49. And these are his deathbed declarations. And I'm just going to fly through these really quick. For, and then I'm going to get to 50. That's the most important portion. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen in the days to come. Notice this event is all of them. Nothing is done in secret. This is the first time, well, maybe a few times because they had meals together, but his fam, his entire family is there now. Hasn't happened for over 22 years. They're all at the same table. They're all around the same bed pretty soon. And he talks to them about their inheritance and the prophetic statements that God said would happen to his father and his forefathers, that he would build up a people and he succinctly lays out the inheritance and the blessings for his sons. Um, do you have plans for your family? Savings, plans, whatever, inheritance. That's good if you're able to. You have heard of the bumper. I never, will never forget the bumper sticker I have seen. I'm driving on, on a motorhome, a very nice motorhome. I'm driving my children's inheritance. <laughs> Should have bumper sticker. Yeah. That's understandable, I suppose, but they had a plan, a specific plan of where the inheritance would go to their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I've been a beneficiary before of a little inheritance and have blessed my life. And my mom did what he did. I mean, all four of us were biological and she gave us all four to the penny the same amount. She wouldn't have it any other way. Even though I felt she loved me the most. But all three of the other kids said the same thing. You know you have a godly parent when all the kids say that they were his or her favorite. That's a godlike quality. You know what I mean? God like. Okay, let's just go through these uh, uh, blessings. So he's, uh, verse 2, Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, and listen to your father. Here he goes. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength. Number verse 4. But you were as unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence. He lost his role as the older brother because he slept with, I believe, one of Jacob's wives. You went up into your father's bed. That's exactly what he did. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to, he went up to my couch. Like, you're done. That's what you did. You were immoral, unstable as water. He had an uncontrollable sex drive. He was boiling over anger problem, reckless and turbulent. Then he talks to Levi and Simeon, the next two brothers, 
Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Their sister was raped by a community, and they went in and slaughtered all of the men in that community. They had blood on their hands. Slaughtered. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined in their company, for they're in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness, willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, the fourth brother, is now given the elder brother role. His name means praise, and Christ came from his seed the tribe of Judah. He says more about Judah than anybody else. Your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. So think of Jesus. Your father's son shall bow before you. Judah's a lion's cub. That's where they get the phrase, Jesus the lion of Judah. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter that's his ruling uh, ornament of a king, which David came first, then Christ. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his fold of the vine, and his donkey colt to the choice vine. Only someone that was completely wealthy and prosperous and blessed would dare tie up their donkey to eat grapes from the vine. It was a sign of wealth and prosperity and blessing. He has washed his garments in wine and his vestures in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk, which was what um, Solomon's wife is one of the phrases she used to describe her husband Solomon in terms of his beauty and his character. That phrase is used in the Song of Solomon. It's a book of romance. The, your eyes are darker than wine and your teeth are whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell on the shore. He had a uh, property on the coast. He becomes a haven for ships. Issachar is a strong donkey. Crouching between the sheep holes. And he goes on and on and on. He gives them all of the blessing. Look at verse 27, by the way, when he says, uh, Oh, I can't leave Joseph out. Look at verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. He was refreshing. His branches run over the wall, meaning his his help and his grace and his compassion poured over the walls of people's lives and communities. We see that in the famine. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessing of heaven above. And Joseph had that over and over and over again. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of their everlasting hills, may they be on the head of Joseph 
and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. He was set apart from his brothers by the providential hand of God. And he suffered more than all of them put together. Benjamin is the ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each one with the blessing suitable to each person. Now let's go down to chapter 50. His father is about ready to die. We read verse 1. Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. He had died already. By the way, embalming was not a Jewish tradition. It was only Egyptian. But he had him embalmed in Egypt as an honor. And an embalmed body would be able to go to, um, back to Canaan someday. Pretty much intact. So he was embalmed so he could be taken with dignity back to Canaan, which Jacob made Joseph swear to. They didn't take him out for a while. Like many, many years. 400. Um, they have 40 days of weeping over his loss. Took 30 days to embalm him. Verse 6, Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father with him when all the servants of Pharaoh, even Pharaoh's leadership went up. The elders of his household, the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brother, his father's household, only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen for safety. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a parade. It was a festival, so to speak. It was impressive. Even the Egyptians commented on it. When they came to the threshing floor of Batai, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor, this is grievous mourning by the Egyptians. This is a grievous mourning. And so on. Let's jump down to verse 15. So they mourned him. They honored him. They did it right. All the brothers were together. And now comes the brothers showing their deceitful hands again, if you can believe this. Verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to them. So they sent, so first of all, for 17 years, I believe it's 17 years, somewhere in there, Joseph has loved them, forgiven them, brought them into the palace, gave them food and money, saved their entire family through the famine. 
was restored to the Father, forgave the lies they told their father, and the vengeance they showed Joseph. And now they're doubting his love and credibility. They're back to their tricks. Manipulative. So they sent a message through someone else, maybe in writing, to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. They are forging a letter out of fear because they don't trust Joseph. They feel that Joseph has just kept them alive because of his father's sake. They still don't know their brother. <clears throat> Say to Joseph, can you believe this? They're staging this. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. They're emphasizing, don't forget, we're the servants of your God and your father. Can you believe this? They said, huh? Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Why did he weep? Father was devilish. 
Yet, by the time God put his sovereign hands on all your evil deeds and shaped it as the potter does the clay, it became his will for my life and yours as well. God was behind this, not you. Amazing. It is the only biblical answer for the depths of forgiveness rather than resentment. So if there's someone in the jail cell of your mind who you have promised you would never forget, do it tonight. Ask the Lord to do it through you. That's the only way we can do it. Lord, would you forgive that person once and for all through me? He'll change your life. He'll change your life. I remember when the mother of my kids divorced me, I always keep saying this, but, you know, once again. And ten years I go by, I'm happily married to Jenny now, and uh, I've been divorced about ten years, and I'm sitting in uh, Good Bean Coffee House, which is my office annex. <laughs> my other office. And I'm talking to this guy. I don't think I told you this. And my ex-wife walks in and sits at a table. And she was in real estate then, and the guy, I think the client was there. And she walked in, and God had so healed me and gave me the capacity to forgive. Because it I can't even tell you the destruction of that story and the evil behind it. I, could, I can't explain it to you. But the Lord gave me the capacity to forgive her. The Lord did. I had no desires. And so she walks into the coffee shop and I see her and my heart didn't even skip a beat. I saw her come in, I saw her sit down, I saw a client come and sit down, and my heart was like this the whole time. The woman that caused me the most pain in my life than anyone I've ever met. Just like this. And I said to the guy, I go, hey, that blonde lady, just turn around slowly, about five tables back. That's my ex-wife, and he goes, she is? <laughs> I go, yeah. I mean, God's totally healed me. Didn't even feel a flip. My heart. It's just more like, oh, wow, that's the mother of my kids. Yeah, I remember her. <laughs> I remember her. He could do that. Okay. I'm not in the place of God. That doesn't matter if you meant evil against me. Doesn't matter anymore. Bury the handle of the hatchet. It doesn't matter anymore. God has allowed it to happen in your life. See his hand and thank him for doing a deep work in your heart as a result of it. Verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you. 
That's another sign of forgiveness. You actually can give something or provide something or help for that very person if you have the opportunity. Some people are still bitter and their loved ones are dead. That's a trap. So we have to do something. Sometimes when we forgive, we have to do something. I was a pastor in Eureka, and uh, I had a guy in my church that went to another local church. And I love the guy. He's such a wonderful person. But every time he talked about the pastor at his last church, he got a scowl on his face. And he would always say to me, but I've forgiven him. And so one time, he, he, I go, next time he gets a scowl and says that, I'm going to call him on it. And sure enough, he did drink a cup of coffee. And I go, you know what? Let me stop you right here. You have not forgiven him. What do you mean I have not forgiven him? Every time his name comes up, you look like you've been baptized in lemon juice. You get a scowl on your face. Your forehead gets wrinkled. You've not forgiven him. Man, he, he called me later and said, I was so convicted, I went right to the pastor's office and asked for his forgiveness. So it's not enough to say I forgave him. You actually have to do something sometimes. Joseph provided for them. One of my favorite stories, I had a lady come to my office, or, or a man, actually, no, it was a woman. One of my she was very, very pregnant. When she got, she had two little boys with her husband, and when she was uh, ready to give birth, really close, um, she came and told me the story. She said, uh, you know, my, my husband, right after I got pregnant, he moved back home to live with his mom. That's always a charming thing to do to a pregnant wife who loved him and her two sons. And she was really struggling. Well, at the birth, the father came to the birth of his third son, and they, they joined back together, and he moved back in with his wife and his three sons. I go, well, that's a good ending. Well, she goes, not so much. I'm really struggling with his mother. I go, well, why is that? Well, when he moved back home to be with his mother, and I wanted to call to talk to him, his mother would lie and say he wasn't there. His mother was my best friend since our wedding day. We would make chocolate chip cookies together. I loved her. We shopped together. We were very, very close, but now that her son is home, she lies to me consistently, knowing my heart is broken. I'm pregnant. She lies about her son's father. I can't move past it. I'm really bitter. But this is after she had her baby and everything. She goes, so, you know, and then what makes it worse, she says, is every time I talk to her and see her, she acts like nothing ever happened. That's the knife in the heart right there. She treats me like she did before her son moved home, like nothing ever happened. She never told a lie. 
and I can't get past it. I can't hardly look at it. And I said, well, based on this story, true forgiveness comes from Christ. You have to ask him to give it to you and at least give you the want to. If you don't even, folks, if you don't even have the want to, then ask the Lord to give you the want to. That's his will for your life. Thousand percent. Ask God for the want to. He'll give you the want to, and then the grace to follow through on the want to. That's a good book title. He'll give you the want to. <laughs> and uh, so she said, well, you know what? I said, you, 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 you have to ask the Lord to help you, give you the forgiveness. He'll give you the want to if you don't have the want to. And then you have to actually do something. Oh, gosh, what would that be? She goes, I know. Her birthday's coming up this week. And I know she loves chocolate chip cookies, especially the ones I make. So this woman, who emotionally cut her to pieces on her birthday this mom of three sons starts making chocolate chip cookies starts kneading the dough doing all the stuff you ladies know that she does that I can't even put into words and she said I kid you not as I was making the dough my heart changed towards my mother-in-law. The hurt was gone. It was gone. That's doing something for the person that you hate in your heart. And if the Lord's in it, that's it. Yeah. And then we read, that wasn't enough for Joseph. And then we read that Joseph always, he not only provided for them, and did something kind, I will provide for you little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's the other thing. Man. That's forgiveness. And so we, we begin the story on a really harsh note. Joseph's life that he's betrayed and disowned and attacked and betrayed and lied about and and on the last note he's gracious he forgives them and he represents Christ to us he's, the Lord Jesus speaks to us never pulls his hand back from us. Never turns his back on us. Never disowns us. Anticipates and can't wait to hear us ask for his ability to forgive. Amen. Lord, thank you. For the life of this young man and everything that went with it, all the lessons that he learned, all of the 
lessons that the brothers had to learn to make sure that their hearts would change eventually. The restoration of the splintered family for the first time in their entire lives. The healing. And we thank you, Lord, that Joseph is a type of Christ. You were also sold as a slave for 30 pieces of silver for something you did not do. You also suffered tremendously for the sins caused by others. You also were so trusting and faithful to your Father who sent you to shed your blood for us. You never complain. You never whine. You went as a lamb to the slaughter. And now we benefit as Joseph's family benefited in the Canaanites and the Egyptians and the family of God today benefits from this story. So we benefit from your kindness, Lord Jesus, and your unconditional love for us. I pray, Lord, that if anyone is here who really has been so wounded in their life, maybe as a child, maybe through an adult, betrayal, that, Lord, you would give them the grace of Jesus to trust you, not to be vengeful, but to trust you because vengeance is yours. Help us to get out of the way and forgive. Can't do it without you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Blessings on you. You're so much fun. <laughs> Okay, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Book of James, I think. Okay. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. I think the book of James. Read ahead. It's a good one. <laughs>